nursing industry is one of the fastest growing career forces in the world today. There are so many issues in the healthcare field these days relating to nurses that simply are not discussed in the media. Welcome to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with Leanne Meyer. Our program will help you with the most relevant information if you're in the nursing field or are planning to enter the industry. Now, here is your host, Leanne Meyer. Thank you for joining us on Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. I'm Leanne Meyer, your host, and I am really excited to welcome you to this particular show. Today's episode may be one of the most important that we have done so far. Our topic today is Addiction and Nursing, Moral Failure to Chronic Disease. According to the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, in 2014, about 21.5 million Americans, that's close to 8%, were classified with a substance use disorder in the past year. Nurses come directly out of this general population and suffer substance abuse along similar statistical lines. Addiction is a chronic and relapsing brain disease. Addiction can affect anyone. It is an equal opportunity disease. Nurses and other healthcare workers have unique workplace factors that actually increase a nurse's opportunity and risk for addiction. Staffing shortages, increased patient acuity, assignments ratio, demands from administrators and physicians, shift rotation, long work hours, and in some instances, even being subject to workplace bullying or violence are some of the factors contributing to high stress and feelings of powerlessness. With the given workplace stress, dealing with issues at home or lack of coping mechanism to deal with pressures in life, all may contribute to a higher risk of substance use disorder. And we may uh, refer to that going forward as SUD, so kind of keep that in mind. Nurses who also have uh, somewhat easy access to controlled substances and other drugs of abuse. It's critical to note that this SUD is a medical condition, not a moral failing. Research shows that SUD is also treatable and long-time successful, long-time recovery is possible for those who maintain a rigorous program. Because addiction causes changes in the brain, Relapse is always a possibility, but committing to a relapse prevention plan that often includes activities such as attendance of a 12-step program, professional support groups, and individual counseling can greatly increase a nurse's chance of achieving long-term sobriety. SUD is a challenging and complex condition for the nursing profession, but there is help. And today we are going to talk to two people who are intimately involved in giving help specifically to nurses. So my guests are Marie Manthe, an icon of the Minnesota nursing profession. And uh, among other things, she has founded an organization called Nursing Peer Support Network, specifically dedicated to nurses' recovery needs. And then also Becky Lillehei has dedicated her efforts to make this group accessible to these nurses as a convener and then as a chair for the group. So I'd like to welcome both of you. And uh, Marie, can you say hello? And 
Certainly. Hi. Yes, my name is Marie Manthe, and uh, I'm delighted that I've been invited to have this conversation with Becky and talk to you about what we've been doing with the development of the Nursing Peer Support Network. But before we get started, Leanne, I would like to just spend can a little I bit of time. bring Becky in oh, first? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, Becky, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Hi, I'm Becky Lillehy, and I am very excited to be here today with Marie and Leanne to um go over all of these very important uh, ideas and and suggestions that we have for um, substance use disorder. So happy to be here. Yeah. So let's go back to you, Marie. Um, We're here to talk about the, the problem of substance use disorder in nursing, and that's sort of the official language that is used now within the profession. And to start with, I want to tell you a little bit about my own story of uh, substance use disorder. And uh, Becky will share her story as well. And then we're going to talk to you about the program that we've developed that addresses some of the specific problems that occur within the nursing profession regarding uh, addiction and substance use disorder. So my story starts, actually, I'm one of those very, very fortunate nurses who knew from the time I was five years old what I was going to do with my life. And the reason I knew that is because I was hospitalized at that time. And... um, It was a big hospital in Chicago, and I don't know if my folks even knew that I was going to be admitted. They just told me I was going to go to a big building, but they didn't tell me they were going to leave me there. And um, so I was uh, very uh, feeling very abandoned, afraid. And when they did come, the visiting hours, by the way, at that time were uh, two uh, one-hour visits per week, one parent. So long days went by when I didn't see either one of my parents and a very painful procedure was done when they did come. Now those things I know to be true. I know that I was feeling afraid, I was abandoned, I was uh, in pain when they came. A lot of things that just didn't seem right at all. In that, at that time and in that context, what happened is a nurse whose name was Florence Marie Fisher She sat down and colored in my coloring book, and it meant the world to me. It meant that she cared for me. And that feeling became a a motivating force in my life. I'm here to tell you that I have never forgotten her name. I never saw her again. We never had any contact of any kind at all from a five-year-old, Florence Marie Fisher. Part of the reason for that, as I was growing up, people would say, what are you going to be when you grow up, Marie? And I'd say, I'm going to be a nurse like Florence May Fisher. I'm going to be a nurse like Florence May Fisher. I'm going to be. It was a mantra in my life. So much so that when I wrote the book on primary nursing in 1980, I dedicated that book to her. And subsequently, things have evolved about that relationship that we had that resulted in my being able to nominate her posthumously for the Daisy Award for outstanding nursing care, bedside nursing care, three years ago. And so I'm one of those people that was blessed with knowing what I wanted to do, and I can tell you that at practically no time in my career was I disappointed with that choice or with the work that I was doing. Nevertheless, there came a time when after primary nursing was uh, was being introduced, when primary nursing was actually being introduced to the nursing profession and to hospitals, I was feeling a great deal of pressure. I was advancing in my career. 
I was becoming, I was a chief nurse for the first time at two hospitals in St. Paul. That was Miller and St. Luke's. I had two children. I was single parenting now that my husband had decided he didn't want to be a father and a husband anymore. And I had a lot of stress that I didn't know what to do with. I found out that having a martini after work helped me connect better with the children who needed a mom, helped me deal with the fact that I had dirty dishes in the sink and had forgotten to take the meat out of the freezer, just helped me deal with those pressures of being the mother, the housekeeper, the laundry, all the things that I really wanted to be able to do well and couldn't. It helped me deal with that failure. And I went through over the next 10 years the normal progression from use to abuse to addiction. And I went from one martini after work, thinking to myself, that's all I need. Never will need another one. It's just fine to having two martinis after work, thinking I don't, I'll never drink martinis after dinner to then drinking. And, and when you pass, when you go from use to abuse to addiction, you pass invisible lines that you don't know you've passed until you can't go back anymore. I couldn't go back to one martini after work. I couldn't go back to not drinking a martini after dinner. And so that progression went on and my career went on forward at the same time in an almost uncanny way. I was doing public speaking. I was considered one of the more avant-garde chief nurses in the United States. I was being recruited all over the country I was finally recruited at Yale New Haven Hospital, and I, uh, I decided to move there with my children. And during that period of time, that last three years, uh, my drinking went into addiction, use, abuse, addiction. And for me, when I got to that place, I could not not drink. And I will tell you right now that that was a kind of a torturous experience because I loved my job, I was good at it, I was still doing public speaking, I was still recognized as one of the avant-garde leaders. Yale New Haven, a very uh, challenging bureaucratic structure was changing. Uh, my children appeared to be doing well in school, I had a beautiful home, I had no reason to drink. And every night I would go home from work and I could not not drink. That was extremely difficult. I would drink to blackout or pass out every single night. Eventually, uh, intervention was done by my bosses, and I agreed to go to inpatient treatment. And while I, uh, with the understanding that if I went into inpatient treatment, I would not be fired. And while I was there, that's what they did. So I ended up being in New Haven, Connecticut, with two children and no job and not very much support. That's the story of my addiction. The story of my recovery is, an, uh, is just a, a really um, positive experience that I'm looking forward to sharing with you. Um, I've been in recovery now for close to 40 years, and in that period of time, it has taken me uh, almost 36 years to begin to understand what was happening within the nursing profession for people like me or people who became addicted to drugs. We have uh, neglected our own um, colleagues and we are so happy to be able to give you 
the story of how we are beginning to help nurses. Nurses are helping nurses. The Nursing Peer Support Network is a group of nurses who are helping each other overcome the stigma and shame within the nursing profession. Five more minutes. Um, so, Becky, what, would you like to share your story? I would. Um, I was My story's a little bit backwards from what Marie's story is. I um, wanted the white picket fence and the kids and married my high school sweetheart and um, didn't know that I wanted to be a nurse until he got sick. And uh, he ended up with um, brain cancer, and he eventually died. We... Um, we worked on that for 16 months. They had given him 12 to 18 months to live. And the nurses and the doctors that I encountered throughout that whole ordeal um, either made us or broke us. And um, the hospice nurses were the angels that convinced me that I was going to go back to school in my 40s and become a nurse. And that's exactly what I did. I had actually been sober for 15 years before I became a nurse. And... Um, I love the career that I had. I just recently retired. I um, worked in a, in a clinic setting, not a hospital setting, because I still had children at home that I needed to take care of. And I have loved doing what I've been doing ever since I started doing it. So fantastic. Um, so we have a few more minutes before the break, probably about um, five. Would would you like, is there anything you'd like to bring in here that we can? Yeah, um, I'd like to refer back to the title that we've used for this talk, um, From Moral Failure to Chronic Disease. And I think in the nursing profession, I know in the nursing profession that we have a traditional attitude towards substance use disorder towards addiction of all types within our family, within our patients and within our families and within ourselves. And that those attitudes that we have relate very much to a perspective that this is a moral failure. And yet we know, because we're nurses, we understand the diagnosis, the definition of a disease, and we understand that addiction fits that definition perfectly. And we need to begin to make the link that there's a parallel between diabetes and, and addiction. Uh, before I go into that complete, I just want to say one more thing, that there's a perception that once we understand that this is a disease, then people go to treatment and then they're fixed. <laughs> That's a real problem. Now, with a diabetic, they get a diagnosis and they get a treatment plan, and they need to work that treatment plan for the rest of their lives or else they can relapse and have a tremendously difficult uh, physical problem. The same thing is true with substance use disorder. We can, be, we can be diagnosed. We can go to treatment. But then begins a plan for continuing to um, uh, attend to our development in recovery um, it's a chronic disease, and if we don't continue to grow forward in recovery, it's not, you know, it's not just about not drinking. Recovery is about a process of transformation that results in a new perspective in life and, in fact, uh, uh, a, a, ver a view of oneself and one's place in the world that is positive, peaceful, and hopeful. 
And that's the story we want to be sure and help you understand. Yeah. My experience in nursing school um, for our psych training, we were required to go to at least one AA meeting. And I went to a number of them. Uh, My feeling was why is this just for alcoholics? Or, and, exactly. and it wasn't really so much for drug at that time. Why is this yeah. just for alcoholics? This should be for everyone. Right. Mm-hmm. Because we don't have very many places in our life. Uh, for most people, it might be very, very close friends. It might be their, um, their spiritual base. Uh, where you can really have these deep conversations. Right. Where you can actually say, I'm struggling. I'm, I'm falling through the cracks and I don't know what to do. Um, in our culture, you just have to keep the look of things going. If everything looks okay, everything's fine. And we know very well that's not true. Well, actually, there are 12-step programs now, not only for Narcotics Anonymous and for uh, Overeaters Anonymous, but there's also uh, Emotional Anonymous. There are, if you look in the... uh, the internet, you'll see there's 12-step programs around a lot of these issues that are difficulties in life, and the 12-step program works all the time. Mm-hmm. I have a couple of books here, 12 Steps for Everyone. <laughs> uh, no, there, yeah. there, there are ways that this gets adapted, and it's so important because this is a process of, of growth and renewal that is um, very important. And it is such an uplifting experience. I think for so many people, they feel like I've hit the bottom of the barrel. This is the worst that can happen to me. When in fact, it it often is the best that can happen. And you go up from there and you you can create just a phenomenal life. And these two people are certainly examples of that. We are going to break here for a few minutes. And if you're just joining us, this is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. I am your host, Leanne Meyer, and we are talking with Marie Manthe, world-known nursing and relational expert, and Becky Lilhai about addiction in nursing, moral failure to chronic disease. Please stay with us after this break for more. listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Now there's a new destination for video content, voiceamerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has launched our mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host, no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. 
Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Thank you for returning to this important and timely discussion. I'm here with Marie Manthe and Becky Lillehigh. We're talking about addiction in nursing, the moral failure to chronic disease. And I want to turn this right back over to Marie and give her as much time as possible to talk about this important subject. Yeah, a little thank you, Leanne. A little bit more about why this is such an important topic in nursing. And I want to remind the listeners who are nurses that uh, it's it's an absolute fact that for 15 years, the Gallup poll has found that nurses are the most trustworthy profession and occupation um, except for the year 2001 when it was firefighters. But every single year since that, which is obviously 16 years at least, we have, had, we have been number one of the most trustworthy profession. And that includes physicians and clergy and ministers and, and um, um Please, even down everybody. to the very end, the last, uh, last was uh, used car salesman. But anyway, <laughs> and I've often wondered, how is it that we, we, we have that reputation? Because we always feel like patients don't really understand what we do, who we are, and yet they trust us. And I know now that that trust is about the same thing I felt as a five-year-old kid scared in the hospital. It's about vulnerability. And they bring, they come to us as vulnerable human beings and they trust us. And the more we're in practice, the more we understand the the privilege of that trust. And I think that what happens after the denial, uh, when we're into substance abuse, the horror of what we've done in becoming addicts can be almost overwhelming. I know it was for me. Uh, The stigma and shame that we experience comes from within the profession, and then it comes from within us as individuals. And that stigma and shame uh, can can often prevent us from getting the recovery that we so desperately want and need. Now, I said that for 36 years, I didn't understand this uh, in terms of how we treat nurses around this problem of stigma and shame. 
And about that time, I was asked to speak to a group of uh, Texas Nursing Association advocates who are around the issue of substance use disorder within the Texas Nurses Association. And I was asked to speak about relationship-based care, which, of course, is one of my very strong uh, areas of interest. And as I realized who I was talking to, that these were nurses who were involved in helping nurses with recovery, I ended up telling my AA story, my, my, my recovery story. I ended up talking about my own disease and, and where I was in recovery, and it was an amazing experience. My two worlds came together. I'd been publicly speaking about primary nursing relationship-based care for 25 years, and then for the first time, I told my recovery story, my addiction and recovery story. And when I got home, I wrote a note about it to my friends, and I I just wrote an email. And I immediately was fired back with an email from a woman named Diane Nas, who said to me, this is what I've been telling you, Marie, you're supposed to do something about. Minnesota was, was... way behind time in not having a peer support uh, component in any part of our professional recovery process. And she helped me in so many different ways. What the immediate next steps were getting a committee together, and that committee worked on uh, getting an organization started. It took us about a year but we had our 501c3 status. We were a nonprofit uh, registered with the state, and we had a bylaws, a committee structure, and uh, a fully functioning board, plus the first three peer support meetings operating. And this, the notion of the peer support meetings was providing an opportunity for nurses to talk to nurses about where they were in their recovery. And Becky here is one of our conveners who who actually runs the meeting. So we have about seven meetings going on right now throughout the state of Minnesota. Each one meets twice a month. Each one has two conveners who are nurses in recovery who who have been prepared to open the meeting using a safe and effective format for facilitating good conversation maintaining confidentiality and being able to deal with issues that may come up during the conversation and closing the meeting uh, at the appropriate time. Uh, Those meetings are the places where nurses get to talk to nurses about what's going on with them. And Becky here is going to tell you what it's like to be a convener and more about what happens at those meetings. Thanks, Marie. I am so proud to be part of the NPSN network and be one of the conveners. And uh, I also hold a chair as the peer support committee um, leader. And I am humbled to be here and to share with you what I do. You know, our our peer support for nurses uh, with SUD in a safe environment is the purpose of giving you hope and belief that um, you can succeed. You can continue to be a nurse. You can actually um, be successful in recovery. Recovery is is uh, is sustainable. You can you can get it and you can keep it. And uh, we help you with that in these meetings. The we facilitate the meetings, you know, just by allowing you to come and share with other nurses. We don't provide advice. We don't counsel, and we don't conduct interventions. But um, We've been there, so we know what it feels like, and uh, 
the rest of the nurses in the room are always willing to talk as well. We open the meeting. We have a format that we use. We set the tone for the meeting. We um, all share in a reading that we've put together. And um, it's it's not it doesn't matter about your race, your your sexual orientation. None of that matters to us. We are all nurses, and we are all trying to stay sober. Um, we explain, we're able to explain the roles and the functions of the uh, health professional services if need be. Um, we summarize conversations just to keep things on task. Uh, you know, we have to be nurses, as Marie had said, we have to be nurses in order to be a convener, and we need two years of total abstinence recovery from our addiction to in order to conduct these meetings. So, um, let's see. Um, I think that kind of sums it up. We do have a responsibility statement that we read together, and I could read that if you'd like me to. It's, as your peer, with a shared goal of mutual recovery, I commit to the following, and we all read this together. I accept responsibility for listening carefully, speaking truthfully, and maintaining confidentiality. I will be trustworthy in my peer-to-peer communication and expect you to do the same. My relationship with all peers will be equally respectful, regardless of type of addiction, time in recovery, age, gender, sexual orientation, or any other differences that may exist between us. I commit to not engaging in crosstalk and will listen intently to understand first and then to be understood. I will be direct with my communication and commit to not gossiping. If I hear you doing so, I will ask that you speak with that person directly. I am committed to group unity as peer support is key for each of us to maintain a healthy recovery. And one of the things that we do at the end of our meeting is we always allow about 10 minutes or so for um, all of the members of the meeting there to either exchange phone numbers if they'd like to. Sometimes they'd rather talk to each other than in a group, Um, but we always give them enough time for a little bit of fellowship after our meetings. Thanks, Becky. And uh, we periodically collect statements from the attendees about the impact that these conversations have for them. And it is so heartwarming. It is just so um, validating to know that this process of peer support of nurses helping nurses is working towards their recovery. Nurses are getting better. Nurses are getting back into the profession which is not always easy because we still have attitudes within the profession that are very negative towards nurses in recovery, and that's that's a topic for another conversation. But let me share with you just a couple of comments from nurses who have been attending these meetings. I have recently started attending and found them to be extremely helpful. I learned something new at each meeting and felt so accepted and comfortable. Nursing Peer Support Network has been vital to my recovery. The nurses I have seen come into the meeting broken down and worn from their battle with addiction always remind me where I came from. It motivates me to stand by them, support them, and show them that there is a place in recovery for nurses. The support group shows other nurses out there that have an addiction, whether they are in recovery or not, that there are nurses that have a close, if not complete, understanding of where they've come from. So we know that the peer support network is 
helping nurses in recovery, and we are dedicated to the notion of expanding this, provide this support, which right now is in um, several different cities. Um, There are seven meetings going on in the state of Minnesota. That's Duluth, Wilmer, and Mankato. Downtown Minneapolis, downtown St. Paul, St. Louis Park, and Woodbury. That's where the meetings are, and we know there are lots of nurses in recovery in different parts of the state, and we are that's part of our goal for next year is to find ways to expand the peer support networks and even to find peer support one-to-one um, opportunities for nurses. So this is one of the two major goals of the Nurses Peer Support Network. The second major goal has to do with education. And as the problem within the nursing profession uh, began to unfold in my awareness, and and I have to say something about that. Um, I've been a nurse for a very long time, and I've been in recovery, as I said, for close to 40 years. And I wasn't putting two and two together about what was happening to nurses who were unable to get any help about the stigma and shame of being a nurse with an addiction. In my own personal life, I became a consultant after I was fired from that job, and I wrote the book on primary nursing, right out of treatment. Um, And as I became a consultant, I made a vow to myself that I would always tell my client at an appropriate time as soon as possible that I was in recovery, that I didn't want somebody to find out through the rumor mill. I wanted to be the one who told them myself. And that's what I did consistently. As I developed professional collegial relationships or friendships, I would make sure I told the person I was becoming a friend with that I was in recovery. That was my personal choice. And Because I wasn't seeking employment, I personally didn't experience the reality of having great difficulty in being hired as a nurse in recovery. The risks that employers feel about hiring a nurse in recovery is a um, huge barrier that we need to overcome. And part of that we are attempting to deal with through this program of education. So um, the education uh, regarding substance use disorder in nursing has been largely absent from our, from our education programs. Uh, I was quite surprised to learn that uh, while nurses are taught a great deal about pain management, opioid use, opioid action, da-da-da-da-da, they were being taught nothing about the risks and the consequences of addiction and nursing. And I'm delighted to say that this is beginning to change. Here in the state of Minnesota, we have two brand new curriculums that are available to schools of nursing throughout the state that do precisely that, that begin to acquaint student nurses with the reality of the problem of addiction and nursing. Um, and the, the, the main thrust of those education programs that are so important to me personally are 
the making sure that they understand the risks. Why is addiction in nursing, uh, addiction, a higher risk in the nursing profession than for the general public? And what are the consequences of addiction in nursing? We need to make sure that student nurses learn that when they take a Percocet that the patient didn't want because they have a backache, that they are taking a step that might in fact end up with them having a felony conviction, serving prison time, etc. The consequences of addiction in nursing that involve diversion are profound and serious and largely unknown. The conspiracy of silence within the nursing profession is best seen, I think, in my own personal story with me not understanding this, although I was in recovery for 40 years and paying attention and in a profession of nursing for over 60 years and paying attention all that time. It never occurred to me what was really happening. It's very interesting. And I think um, having watched some of this as being a manager, um, I had several times where I had employees that were abusing. And I w- one, I was just so naive. Um, I just thought everybody was at the same uh, level as I was. I mean, I'm sure there were times when I looked at medications and thought, hmm, you know, this is really accessible. But fortunately, never went about it. So even uh, very close to this and watching people and having these uh, um, uh, feelings, you know, that that just that weird feeling that something doesn't sound right or or something that they're doing isn't quite right. Um, I realized that I didn't do them any favors by not asking them about it or not doing something about it. So we're going to go to a break here. Again, and as I said before, we're talking with Marie Manthe and Becky Lillehei, and our topic is addiction and nursing, moral failure to chronic disease. So I'm hoping you will join us again after this short break, and remember that if you'd like to call in and ask any questions or share anything with us, the number is one 866 472 Thank you so much, and join us on the other side of the break. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? 
Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Hi, this is Leanne Meyer, and we are again um, talking with Marie Manthe and Becky Lilhai, and our topic today is so crucial. It is addiction in nursing, moral failure to chronic disease, and uh, I just can't say enough about how grateful I am to have both of these people here to reassure us that there is something out there for those of us who work so hard in nursing and we want to be our best person and um, this kind of addiction is not something that's conducive to being that. So, right. again, Marie, why don't you yeah. pick it up from there? Thanks, Leanne. Well, Becky and I want to share with you a couple more things about the, um, these, the experiences that we're having. For one, Becky, have you had nurses from different walks of nursing uh, in your peer support meetings? And do those differences show up as part of their relationship in the meeting? We have had... Um, different classes of nurses and nurse practitioners as well. And when we're there, we're all kind of equal to one another. There isn't a, there isn't a differentiation between uh, our roles because we're all kind of feeling that same shame and that same stigma of, of how to keep going with our career. We don't really talk about our, we don't identify ourselves with our um, degree. Yeah. That's, that's really helpful because there is another difference that is profound and uh, that is very troubling. I mean, the addiction, an addiction is an addiction is an addiction, whether it's an alcohol addiction or an opioid addiction. You get to the point where you can't not use and it begins to destroy your entire life. Values get obliterated. Things you used to hold important are not as important as getting that substance in. And the impact on one's life is very similar However, in the nursing profession, there is a huge difference because alcohol is legal and opioids are not. And taking a patient's drug is a felon, it can be a felony conviction. It's not always, but it is always a crime. And within the field of recovery, there is a difference in the way programs are designed and implemented between the alcoholic who did not commit a crime and the drug user who did. Um, Now, the use of opioids, as we all know, is a major national uh, problem of, of tremendous dimensions, getting a lot of attention right now. Those of us who have been around in nursing for a long time can remember when opioids first came out. 
And some of the things that we were taught about them are still being taught today. And I, I consider it a national disgrace, in fact, maybe a professional disgrace, in that we were taught years ago when they first came out that if the patient really has pain, it is not addictive. Uh, and we know now that that is no longer true. In fact, I heard a physician talk about a statistic research that had been done that indicated that when a physician orders an opioid prescription in the doctor's office for pain, one in seven of those orders will result in someone who's addicted to the opioids. One in seven is a statistic that that physician reported. Student nurses are still being taught. One of, one of my friends was telling me last year that in her class, she was being taught that there's only a 1% chance of addiction if the patient really has pain. As a profession, we really need to be much more intentional about the, what, we are, what we are teaching and make sure that we are using the latest evidence-based knowledge um, so that nurses do not any longer have a lackadaisical attitude uh, about the impact of opioids for the addictive process. Um, the, the, one of the things that uh, I want to talk about is the way in which we manage stress, because that's the door opener within the nursing profession to beginning to use substances, whether it's a Percocet that a patient didn't want, or it's that glass of wine when you get home from work. Today it's a glass of wine, in my day it was a martini. Uh, it had the same effect, the same use, except nowadays you don't ever hear people talk about martini, so I know it's about that glass of wine. <laughs> and when we are using it to relieve stress, rather than another more appropriate and more healthy stress management uh, reliever, we are taking a step towards uh, an addictive process. And um, I'm, I, I know that the stress that is being experienced by staff nurses and nurse managers and every level within these uh, healthcare systems is so great that it almost feels that a glass of wine is a necessary part of the day. Um, I was going to say along with that stress, with so many unknowns right now as we're going forward into um, healthcare, and it seems like uh, things are, are going to happen that um, are huge, and there's been no planning time. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's like it almost feels like it's going to come crashing right. down on us all at one time. Those stresses are going to be increased dramatically with just the, the normal things that we do, but then trying to figure out, do we have financing? What kind of financing are we going to have? Is there going to be a situation where patients have to be turned away? Or obviously we have laws that say we can't turn patients away. How is that going to be paid for? And is that something that's going to come back to the nurse manager, to administration, who are going to be the people trying to solve all of these different problems that are coming together at the same time? Yeah. There's no... I was just thinking about um, nurse when I hired nurses and would, they would always... It, there's kind of a... Our personality is to do more, is to be busy, is to be... You know, if I can't be busy, I don't want to work here. And we'd always assure them, oh, we'll keep you busy from the time you get here until the time you go home. And I think that in the day, 
that kind of stress was it was it was okay to get rid of that stress it was okay to have that glass of wine or that martini and and you didn't think any further than that because you had to get to bed and get back up and go back and do it all over again the next day so I just think there's a, a pattern that we get into of oh just one more today and one more hour of work and it's a vicious cycle yeah I want to just say a few more words about the differences between the opioid uh, addiction and the alcohol addiction because that is having a profound effect on the nursing profession. We have more access to narcotics than anyone else in the healthcare field. We have more easy access, no matter how many times they are trying to develop tight controls over the use of the recording of narcotic use, etc., we can always find a way, and there is uh, there is there are no jobs in nursing that don't involve, very few jobs that don't involve the administration of narcotics. So our access is um, is very much a, a problem, coupled with the stress of all the uncertainties that you, we've both been talking about here on a daily basis. These these uncertainties do not go away. So. You know, what I'm looking for, what I'm looking at are ways that we can embed within the nursing profession stress relievers uh, that are, are available. And I think we know what some of those are. We know about the stress reliever for PTSD. It involves finding ways to share with people what the feelings are in order to get some relief. The peer support concept actually could be, can be adopted in, within healthy workplace uh, organizations as ways for nurses to deal with stress that is, comes along with the nature of our work. Um, and as a, as a um, part of our professional development, I'm looking forward to seeing the expansion of peer-to-peer communications as a way to relieve uh, the pressures of our work and avoid the easy use of opioids or that glass of wine after work. So as we move forward with this um, program, we'll be looking at ways we can learn to deal with stress that, that are more effective and, again, changing our attitudes towards nurses in recovery in both the workplace and in society as a whole. Our education arm of the Peer Support Network uh, has developed a speakers bureau. We are available to go into any group, a community group, a professional group, hospital employees, uh, student nurses, Nurses at a convention, we are able to and willing to and looking forward to uh, any opportunity we can find to bring these uh, issues of recovery and nursing to the consciousness of our entire profession. The conspiracy of silence is killing us in nursing. Uh, As I indicated earlier, I have been pretty open on a one-to-one basis about my own addiction And recently, in the last couple of years, I've been publicly speaking about my own addiction. In doing so, I have had leaders in all walks of nursing, from 
faculty to supervisors to administrators to executives tell me on a one-to-one basis where they are in their recovery. And no one, absolutely no one in their workplace has any idea of where they are. I am, I, I just feel that this is a symptom of the conspiracy of silence that keeps us stuck in a place of stigma and shame rather than understanding that this is a disease Nurses are more prone to it for a variety of very good reasons, that we have the equal opportunity of recovery and a full life, but we have to, we have to find ways to lift that veil of secrecy and open up our awareness to the fact that this is a disease which is recoverable. And in fact, our research has shown that when a nurse has gone through a recovery process, she comes back to work better qualified, better capable, stronger in terms of personal and professional abilities than she was when uh, when she was pre uh, pre-use so there's a lot of attitudinal changes that need to be made in the nursing profession and I'm delighted that we are in a position here after three years of of, um, of development in having both the peer support network meetings that are growing and uh, expanding in a variety of ways, plus all the opportunities we're having for um, educational programs. We, I encourage you to look at our website. We have intentionally vetted a number of uh, educational programs that are on video that come from different sources. They are excellent. And uh, there's a great deal of information on that website as well about the Nursing Peer Support Network. Can I just add quickly that um, if you're interested in being a convener, there's information about that on the website as well. We're always looking for conveners. We're always looking to expand. We are actually working on a plan to recruit and retain. And we're even trying to get video access to the nurses out in the rural areas. So fantastic! we would love to have you. Fantastic. Again, we are down to the end of the show. I, I'm just always amazed when it comes around. A um, couple of things I wanted to add on to what Marie was saying. Uh, we have done some programs previously to this uh, about uh, ways that you can um, decrease your stress and decrease the stress of other people in your uh, environment, on your department, in your workplace. Um, so please do go back and look. Uh, Ellie Peterson and Natalie Liu uh, did a program on um, meditative movement and nursing reflection. And also Catherine Todd and Betsy Stites did a program about how to create uh, a, a caring environment for, for the nurses. Uh, both of those were really excellent. So you have been listening here to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing with me, Leanne Meyer. And our discussion today has been all around addiction in nursing, moral failure to chronic disease with our expert, Marie Manthe, and one of her leaders, Becky Lillehigh, with the Nursing Peer Support Network. So I want to thank you both for being here. Um, the good news is they are going to return on February 26th with stories from uh, nurses using this program and calls from people like you with questions, comments, and stories of your own. In the meantime, if you'd like to check this group out, you can find out more information at http colon, 
forward slash, forward slash, and then NPSN uh, with network, ha- um, dash mn.org forward slash. So please do that. Please join us again on February 26th. We look forward to talking with you. Thank you for listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with your host, Leanne Meyer. Be sure to join us again next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a productive and insightful week.